Would you put your hands out in front of you like you're about to receive a gift? And let's pray. Um, Jesus, here is our heart, our mind, our soul this morning. We give you our families and our lives. Would you speak to us? Our weeks are full of distractions. And uh, we, our deepest desire is to have you be speaking into us every day. Would you speak loudly over the noise? And this morning, Father, would you bless your word that you would be teaching all of us uh, what you would have for us. Encourage us, Father, in you. Thanks that you're a good God, that you love us, that nothing can separate us from your love, um, and you're always going before us, even in ways that we don't understand or see. Thank you for being a good God and a good Father. And we ask everything in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, we are in a series um, called, um, called uh, Come and See. And this morning I want to share a passage with you from the book of Luke. Luke chapter 10, 1 through 11 says this. Now, after the Lord appointed 72 others, he sent them in pairs ahead of him to every city and place where he himself was going to come. And he was saying to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, plead with the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go, behold, I am sending you out like lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money belt, no bag, no sandals, and greet no one along the way. In whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they provide, for the laborer is deserving of his wages. Do not move from house to house. In whatever city you enter, uh, if they receive you, eat what is served to you. And heal those um, in it who are sick, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near. But whatever city you enter, if they do not receive you, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your city, which clings to our feet, we will wipe off and protest against you. Yet be sure of this, that the kingdom of God has come near. Now, this verse is a, uh, in passage is instrumental within my life. And I, I want to share a little bit about my story and why it's, it was so important. I don't know if you've ever been at that place where um, you become discouraged in your faith. Um, a, a place where you're asking, God, what are you doing? Where are we going? Um, what is the next step? I don't see it. And as somebody who was in full-time ministry, this hit me kind of mid-career. Now, it never, it never discouraged me personally in my, my faith in God. I would, I would kind of say it this way. Um, I can love baseball. Like, I love the sport. But I don't know what the Oakland A's are doing, right? Like, what is their plan? They keep saying they have a plan. And then years like this happen, and you go, I don't know if it's working. So it kind of casts doubt and then goes, do you want to watch the game? And I'm like, I love baseball, but not really. I don't know if you've ever come to that place in your, in your life. Well, I came to that. Now, a little bit of my background is this. Is I became a Christian in high school, and, uh, and I fell in love with telling my friends about Jesus. He transformed my life, and I wanted to share the good news. 
Um, I knew how to speak to them. I knew the language. And then God worked in such a way that my love was to become a youth pastor. So for the first 20, 25 years of my life, I was a youth pastor. And uh, there was, I'm telling you, no greater joy. And the thing that I found after I had started to get older in youth ministry is that you were, I was always being able to see the next generation of the church. And it's really a, a wonderful gift. Something happened in the early 2000s. After 15 years of ministry, I saw that the millennial generation was different. They were gathering differently. Everything about our youth ministries was different. Now, here's the advantage of being a youth pastor. You can change everything, and, and nobody cares, right? So, you know, we could meet on Sunday morning, and I go, you know what? We're not going to meet on Sunday mornings anymore. We're going to meet on Friday nights. And all of the students go, that's fantastic. If you are a senior pastor and you say, we're not going to meet on Sunday morning, we're going to meet on Friday night, there's a committee meeting, there's a vote, right? And there's a moving truck that shows up to your house, right? So I say that because, uh, because of the uh, generosity of young people to say, we just love to do what works. So we started seeing this, and, I st- and at the churches I was working at, especially in the Bay Area, we, I always felt that the students in the Bay Area were feeling things and experiencing things that the rest of culture was going to experience, right? It's, we're a little bit accelerated here in that sense. So experiencing that, I started seeing it. And in the 2000s, we realized that the big group, the big youth groups that I ran, the students did not have time, energy, or even desire as much to be in the big group. It, wasn't, it was bad. But our small group ministry. This was the first thing I saw. The small groups, they started to explode, and they started to build. And they actually, we started to gain momentum in ways that I had never seen. We had groups in area on the other side of the bay in one church that students would never have come to church 10, 15, 20 miles away from our our center point. And they were growing exponentially. Um, Our small group ministry actually became probably three or four times as big as any youth group kind of large gathering that I'd ever had. And I started talking to my other friends about this, and I said, you know, this isn't just a small thing. This is different. This is, like, and, and, we, and as I started to connect the dots, I realized that the next generation was going to do church very, very differently. And you could see it. Because what you see is that that 12-year-old, what are they going to be like when they're 40? And what's the church going to look like? Right? So we started to go, wait a minute, it's going to be very different. At the same time, at the same time as, as I was going through this, I was reading other materials. And this one Christian writer who's been very prolific um, connected some dots that were kind of a, a bigger meta-narrative, if you would. Um, if you bring up the slide, let me read the, this quote. In her book, The Great Emergence, Phyllis Tickle argues that Christianity is currently undergoing a massive upheaval as part of a regular pattern that occurs about every 5,000 years, in which old ideas are rejected and new ones emerge. Ultimately, the old expression of Christianity is refurbished and revitalized in a new, more vital form is also created. 
Every 500 years, we basically go through a reformation. And all of a sudden, my church history background kicked in on me, and I went, okay, you know, uh, you know, 1517, Martin Luther's Protestant revel, uh, you know, Reformation. That's the date, but we know that it was happening in that period. And you go back another 500 years, and we have what was called the Great Schism. That's what, it was an argument about orthodoxy, and that's where the Eastern and Western churches split. And that was literally hundreds of years in the making. And we went, oh, and where are we at? And I'm sitting here just before that, and I go, this is the generation. And I'm like, and we are ready for another... This, there's a new reformation coming. Church is going to look very different, not just for this next generation, but for the next 100 to 200 years to come. Right? And so the old things that we're doing, they're not bad. In fact, um, it's, it, it, and that's what it feels like. Oh, it's an old thing. But they're always new. I mean, there are things that worked and worked in people's lives for, for sometimes decades, for generations and decades. So when we get rid of those forms or we say that, it's not because... Those things were bad. In fact, they were so effective that they became almost, in a really good way, our, the tradition that we held on to. And, th- and those are things that hold us together. But then when those traditions no longer work, we need to re- recalibrate. And so I came to this place of saying, wait a minute, um, I, 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 I'll give you my age. I, I'm a Gen Xer. <laughs> I'm like, I don't belong to the, I knew I didn't belong to the, the other generation, and I know that I'm not native to the, to the generation that's going to come. And sitting there, I thought, oh my gosh, I am in between, personally. This is my own personal crisis I'm letting you in on. Um, I went, I, 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 uh, I'm in between the reformations, I'm in between the generations, right? And then at that very time, I have this terrible church experience. And I leave the church and I think, God, maybe I just need to leave ministry altogether because um, the next generation, they, I'll, I'll just get on the sidelines. And so I did that. I got a regular job. I was encouraged. And I started looking for, God, where are the places where you're working? Right? And so this is, sorry, I usually don't share this much personally, but this was my personal struggle. And I want to share you that because if you've ever, let me just say this again, if you've ever been discouraged, God, what are you doing? I came back to this verse and I said, this really helped. And it happened one day when a friend introduced me uh, to one of the vice presidents at City Team. Now, some of you know that was my background. I actually ended up going to work for them. And um, he was a gentleman who had come out of the background that I was now working in. And I called him up and I said, look, I don't have any contacts in San Francisco. And he says, do you know these people, these people, these people? Again, nobody. He said, love to introduce you. Why don't we have lunch? I go in to have lunch with him thinking we're going to have a conversation about warm contacts, friends that he has that he would introduce me to that would help me in, uh, in the work that I was then doing. He's, I walk in, sit down, and he says, do you know about City Team? I go, yeah, I know about City Team. You know, we do rescue missions. You, yeah, I know you work with, uh, you know, families. You work with the underserved. I know Camp Maymac. And when I became a Christian, I started volunteering at City Team. And he says, do you know what they're doing internationally? And I'm like, City Team works outside of the Bay Area? He says, well, yeah, over the last 10 years, we've collected all of these missionaries. Did you know, he says, that we're reaching Muslims? And I went like, oh, <laughs> I've been through perspectives. 
I've been through all of these, you know, missions classes and, and that kind of, and I go, look, the history of the Christian church, like even in, even in the Great Awakening, was that we've never had traction with Muslims. And beautiful people have given their life. And the cultures in the Muslim world are, are, are just vibrant and wonderful. But we've, there hasn't been a strong Christian witness there. And he said, we're seeing them reached in the last eight years by the tens of thousands. Red flags go up. I'm like, nobody's reaching Muslims. So then I, I get a little snippy. And I'm like, okay. I <laughs> looked at, looked at Brant and I said, okay, so what, uh, who, I said, what about international teams, pioneers, frontiers? These are just mission organizations. All they do, one of their main goals is to focus on this part of the world. Like they do the heavy lifting, the, you know, they, they're, they're in there, like they know the ground. And it, he says, interestingly, you should say that. He goes, why? He goes, the president of pioneers will be here Wednesday. We do all of their training. And I was like, oh my gosh, you're reaching Muslims? He goes, yes. And then he looked at me, and this is a side note. He looks at me and goes, you know, we have a job. You should take it. I go, I got a job. He goes, no, 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 you should take it. You should meet our president. I go, I, so, okay, now, okay, I'll meet. So I meet with the president for a half-hour meeting, and he tells me in detail all of the things that are happening internationally. And what he did was he actually took me through this verse, and he connected the dots. And all of a sudden, I had hope. I had hope not just for what God was doing, but I had hope for what God actually, I had hope for, I had hope for the Bay Area in a different way. Because, um, because of what God was doing, I realized that, uh, that I hadn't missed anything that he was just working in these different places. What was happening and what is happening now is in the third world, God is doing things, and there is an explosion of faith, especially in the southern hemisphere. In the, in the northern hemisphere, our numbers of Christians, if you just went statistically, are a, we're, we're staying the, about the same amount, but statistically, um, percentage-wise, we're, we're moving down, even though as the population gained, we're just gaining ground. In the southern hemisphere, Christians are growing by double digits. There's a reformation happening. There's a new thing happening. And our brothers and sisters in the southern hemisphere and in the, in the third world have actually, uh, are actually in the front of it. And I believe, and this is a side note, if we're humble enough to listen to them and to follow them, I think that we could catch and understand part of what's happening. This morning, I want to talk about this principle from this passage. So, um, and if we go back, if we go back to the, the passage, um, what we see in Acts, when Jesus sends out the 72, there's a little bit of a blueprint for what he's doing here. The first is this. When Jesus sends out the 72, the first thing he's doing is he's sending them in pairs ahead of him. So Jesus sends people out ahead of him. Now this, again, sometimes it feels like when God calls me to something, maybe God calls you to doing something, that Jesus is sending you out to do it. But when he sends the 72 out, he's saying, no, 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 go ahead of me to the villages where I am going to be going. That was helpful. Wait a minute. 
Every day, every week, every year, God sends you out to where he wants to go. He's not saying, go do my marketing plan for me, right? But he's saying, no, no, I'm going to go here. Go out before, prepare the ground. And then he gives them some, some more instructions. But the first thing he does with the instructions, he says this. And it's, I, just, I think this is so sweet. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, plead with the Lord of the harvest. And if I'm honest, I go, it doesn't feel like the harvest is really large here in the Bay Area. It doesn't feel like the harvest is big. But you know what? What if it is? What if, what if this come and see, what if God's, like there's all of this stuff that God has ready and our heads are down and we're not looking to the places he's t- told us to look. So that the excitement becomes, wait a minute, the harvest maybe is still big. And then he gives some very specific instructions. And this was the part that I had not seen and I had not connected the dots on. That was helpful. Um, he says, when you go out, he tells them specifically what to do. And then he says, stay in the house, eating and drinking what they provide. The laborers are few. He goes through, when you don't, don't move from house to house, this and that. And if you enter a house, your peace, your blessing, who you are in Jesus, rest on that. And if you find a man or person of peace, stay with that person. And that was one you read. You go, okay, that's something they do. No, no, time out. Every time Paul went into a new place in Acts, every time they could not go to a synagogue, any place outside of the Jewish communities, this is almost exclusively what they did. Right? In the Jewish communities, there was a common language, a common culture, a common way to speak. But God goes, when you find the person of peace, they're the person who's going to open up the community. And when you look at those instructions, and you get time this week, you read through Luke 10, the beginning of it, almost everything is stay with that person. Don't do this. Don't do that with them. Bless them. But you move around, you, you move around that person. So here is the idea that God out in front, God has people waiting for us. People of peace that opens up their community. And as I was learning about this, he says, here's what's difficult in our first world culture. Our cultures are based on, uh, 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 are based on our resumes, right? We're a knowledge-based community. The gospel goes slowly through knowledge-based communities. In communities that are relationally based, it can move very quickly. And and, uh, and all of a sudden, these verses that I had not thought of, when Jesus says, it's hard, for, it's hard for a wealthy person to get to heaven, but blessed are the poor. Why? They share the gospel. Working downtown San Francisco with the poor, you would see this all the time. Relational-based communities. People on the streets, they actually share knowledge with each other constantly. Right? We're very, somebody in an urban area stops to talk to you, what do we do? I'm like, okay, back off. What do you want? Right? <laughs> we trust people from our own tribes, whether it's a school tribe, you know, you know, uh, you, you know, socioeconomic tribe, whatever those tribes are. That's actually how we feel comfortable. And that's not a 
not absolutely a bad thing, but that relationship is really important. So the idea is that God has people waiting. And those people that are persons of peace, they're the ones centered, that they open up communities for us. They open up their networks, if you would. And they're able to speak a completely different way. And so God's going, your job, like our job, go find the people that I already have prepared to do this. It will be good news for them. And they will share it with their networks. It does, you don't have to be the one who reaches everyone. That's not what I'm deputizing you for. Pray and see where I'm already, where I'm already out in front of you. Right? So, as they, so, so that was the first thing. It's to open up the community. Let me give you a quick example of this. Like, so uh, one of our key volunteers uh, worked at eBay in San Jose, and he started working on this process. He goes, okay, how do I do this at eBay? And, and, and so um, he said, you know, one thing I'm going to do, he says, I'm just going to start... I'm going to start praying for everybody at my work. And, he, and he, he started walking around cleaning people's screens in their mouses in their desk space. Because if you remember back years ago when we worked in workspaces, does people, do you remember that, right? That uh, people would actually, you know, they would always say, you know, hey, don't eat on your desk because it's the last place. It's, you know, it's very, very, very dirty. So he started cleaning it. So he just would do this like three, four times a week, just going around cubicle to cubicle cleaning Right? Praying, God, is there somebody here that you've already prepared? And then one day, one of the gentle, gentle one of his co-workers looks at him and says, hey, you're, you're cleaning screens? Yeah, what are you doing? He's like, I'm cleaning it. You know, they get dirty, and I just want to, you know, take care of the people. And he looked at him and he said, it, it's kind of like Jesus washing feet. <laughs> and he went, Yes, it's exactly like Jesus washing feet. Pray tell, why would you say that? Well, hey, me and some other co-workers, we've been talking about this. So he goes, really? He goes, would you guys ever want to get together and discuss that? Yeah, let me connect them. Because we, like, we just had, like, we've had like three or four conversations the last few weeks about, about like Jesus washing feet and what this means. None of them Christians. Falls into it. So God has people prepared for you, even in your workplace, right? Um, the second thing that they told me is that the people are notorious. Sometimes they're known in the community. The person of peace not only opens up, but they're known in the community. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's not so good. Last week, Caitlin shared about how Jesus used the woman at the well. But when the woman at the well came in to say, you've got to meet this man who taught me everything. He told me everything about my life. You have to know the whole community was like, oh, I got to hear this, right? They all came out. That beautiful part how, that Caitlin shared about how Jesus redeems her within that culture. How he stays there with those people a few days to explain to them even more. Jesus could have came into the town. His disciples could have come into the town. But in a Samaritan town, who did he use? The woman at the well was the person of peace. She was the one who went in. Everybody came out. Then everybody said, no, please stay with us. And the last thing is this is from just our experience of working. Is that that person of peace, 60% of the time, it's a miraculous thing that brings them to the surface. It's something that when it happens, it's, you weren't expecting it. It's like, how did that just work? 
Now, when God works miraculously, when he connects things, it can be really exciting, and it's also completely out of our comfort zone. And so, on one level, I don't want to be a pastor that says you just have to look for the excitement, because God works in, in so many different ways. But at the same time, we don't want to control our faith to where it's just safe. We want to be at that place, God, what do you want to do? And then if God starts doing something that's outside of our comfort zone, we go, okay, Father, this is on you, right? You, if you're doing something within my neighbor's lives, right, within our family's life, I'm not going to try to control it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to recognize that you're working. So 60% of the time, that was just our thing of watching this happen all over the world. Thousands and thousands of times we go, the person of peace comes to the surface in this way. Now, that's not a hard fact, but it's something I wanted to encourage you with, that maybe God's going to do something. So when it happens, you go, wait a minute, time out, let me, let me recognize this. One of our, one of our church, um, one of our great church planters uh, that I have become good friends with, um, who has, uh, has done incredible things all over, especially the continent of Africa and into the Middle East, um, was sharing with me one of these stories where they were praying and they went into these, uh, these tribal villages in a part of uh, West Africa uh, that they lived. And these are villages that are animistic, right? And he says, so we went in, they pray, they go in, and they go in very, very low key, looking for the person of peace, right? Looking for a place where they could have connection. He says, as soon as they walked into the village, a man came up to them and said, man, oh, great, are you, you're new to our village. Yes, you must come stay with us. And he said to, he said to his, his other young church planning friend, he goes, oh, look, God has already shown us the person of peace. So they went and stayed with them. He made them a big meal that night, and they went to sleep. And he says, really early in the morning, he knocks on the door, and he says, hey, are you guys okay? You good? He goes, yeah, yeah, we slept great. He goes, okay. The next day, he went out. They showed everybody in the village. He made them another big meal that night. Same thing, early in the morning, he knocks on the door. Are you good? He goes, yes, we slept wonderful. Thank you. The third morning, he knocks on the door and his tone has changed. And he says, come on, get up. We must go. And they look. He says, really? Okay, this is not good. He's not happy. And he drags them to the village elders in this village. On the way over there, Shadanke, my friend Shadanke looks at his other younger friend. He says, look, if we get beaten... You're the leader because you're younger than me and you can take it, right? I mean, that's their, that's their mindset. And uh, Shanky's got an incredibly good sense of humor even in the midst of this. And they get to the village elders and the man they were staying with says, I need to know who these men are. I need to know who they are. He goes, why? He goes, well, he says, uh, what they find out is he is the town, um, he, he, he's the town soothsayer. He is the spiritual advisor. And he says, he says to them, the Jedi, the spirits, told me that these men were coming. And he says, so every night, he says, I've poisoned their food. <laughs> he goes, but nothing has happened. I need to know who these men are. And so then they step up and they say, the reason why is this. And they explain Jesus to him. And so this man not only becomes uh, a follower of Jesus and many people in this village, he actually becomes one of the church planters to other tribes. And then the first time, and just as a fun, the first time Shadanki told me this story, he says, in fact, last week he was staying with me at my house in Sierra Leone. And he says, so every time he stays with me, 
he goes, I serve him food, and then halfway through the meal, I look at him and say, I poisoned your food. (laughs) And he says, without a beat, he keeps eating and says, the same God who saved you will save me, and he keeps eating. But there's something. Now, this is an extreme example, but it's a fun story, so I love telling it. Um, and uh, so, uh, But I say that because in this verse, they take this very literally. Jesus says to them twice, whatever they serve you, you eat. So when they go into villages, they still follow that very, like when you're going into these villages, they, they, they still take that to heart, right? And so when you think about if God has people waiting for you, what would be the discovery? I want to take you through some of the biblical examples, again, outside of the Jewish tradition, we see that it's the woman at the well, person of peace to her village. It's Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. God goes, go out there, one of the first things, right? He discovers that. He goes back. Lydia at, the, at Philippi, a, a church has started there. The centurion, Cornelius, the Philippian jailer. Outside of the faith, when it came to people that didn't know Christ, God used people of peace to spread that. And for me, it shifted from thinking of my faith from an enlightenment point of view to this is an argument that I need to make to people, right? Rather than finding people that God is already prepared and it's good news. And they naturally share it. We've seen this in areas where people speak to their network in completely different ways. We would never advise them. I've seen family members go to their cousins and go, you need to come to this Bible study we're doing because your wife doesn't like you and you're messed up and I don't even know what's going on with you. And they go, oh, you're right, I'm coming. Right? They do think, within their own language, within their own you know, families, they speak completely differently. And it's so much more effective. And if you think about the damage that the church has done, it takes out so much of that, right? Of, of, it strips out a lot of the cultural understanding we have and lets Scripture speak into each individual you know, um, you know, community, village, in a way that the Holy Spirit uh, not only blesses, um, but um, he at sometimes just multiplies. Um, and so in closing, I wanted to, um, I want to share a couple of things. Number one, if you're discouraged about how does your faith go from here, maybe it's a rethinking of how we posture, how we think about our neighbors. God has you in your place personally. Every, you're in a certain neighborhood. You work with a certain group of people. Uh, you're in your schools. God has allowed different people for you to be around, you know, that, uh, within your major, within classes, within, um, uh, you know, sometimes you'll have that two or three people that are, whatever it is, that maybe that is purposeful. That God has you in your place at your time for your reasons. And that God wants to use you in those ways, not to be the one who stands up but the one that quietly finds that person, the one that God reveals to, that that person of peace, that God might have in your very midst. And what if it was a number of people? But if we're not looking for them, if we're not praying, we might not see them. But the adventure is to say, God, where are you working? 
God, what would you, what might you have? And when that happens, all of a sudden we realize, I mean, for me, I realize that we have a God that's still alive. Um, and every one of us, your giftedness, who we, uh, your temperament, your personality, um, almost, almost as God, I always think, God maybe has custom fit you for the right people, the right work that he wants to do. Next week, I want to talk a little bit more about this, about what uh, some of the steps. And um, I've seen this work on the streets of San Francisco. I've seen this work in other countries. And I want to encourage you with what that might look like. But on one level, as we talk, we're talking in this series, uh, it's about, um, uh, we're like, it's, it's a come, you know, um, uh, it's come and see. That's what we would say to people. But as followers of Jesus, our posture, I think, is now go and see. Like, go and see what I'm doing. My hope is that we will discover as a, as a church and as individuals that the harvest is still really plentiful and that we will discover a God that loves bigger and more than we think. And that's the hope that it personally gave me when I was at my lowest point, that God was already ahead of us. Um, and uh, so this week, I would ask that you might go and see. Let me pray, and then Pastor Ben is going to come up and uh, serve uh, communion. Jesus, thanks that you are a God that's alive. Uh, we believe that uh, your call to us in the Great Commission is still one that, uh, that surrounds our hearts. And would this not just be a platitude that we believe, but Jesus, would you make it uh, an active search that gets us up in the morning, that gives us hope? We want to see you work. Uh, there's people in our lives that we love. We want to have them come to know you. Our neighborhoods, our businesses, our school, um, would you come show us uh, where you're working? And might we have the spiritual eyes and heart to see um, and, uh, and connect people to the God who made them and loved them. And I ask this, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen.